On this week's episode of Circles Off, my co-host Johnny has aged 20 years overnight. We'll find out about that. Also, we're going to answer some questions about some advanced mathematical principles. This will be a little bit heavier this week, and we go into some Twitter fights from the week as well, which are always interesting. Let's get started here on Circles Off, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Welcome to Circles Off, here on the Hammer Betting Network, episode number 80. Number 80. Any idea of a number 80? Oh, I, I didn't even prepare for this. I should have. You should have. Oh, boy. That was the first thing I should have looked at. Oh, 80. Was McGillney 80? No, he was not. But there was a Leaf legend that was... I'll call him a legend <laughs> in that he was the, the guy that was brought up in every single trade scenario for like, you know, I used to listen to a lot of Leafs call in radio after games. And it's like, ah, oh, we should trade this guy for Sidney Crosby or whatever. Was Nick Antropov? Yeah. Oh, was he eighty? Eighty. Um, eighty is like the most popular um, football, like great wide receiver number. Jerry Rice wore eighty. Chris Carter, Rod Smith, Isaac Bruce, uh, Steve Largent, Andre Johnson. I, I cannot compete with this. I, I am being blown out of the studio. Yes, and we are just underway. Um. Some of you watching might say, this doesn't look like Johnny from Betstamp. Uh, it's not Johnny from Betstamp this week. Johnny's on some uh, business. Um, and I'm joined by Matt Buckhalter, at Plus EV Analytics on Twitter. Somehow like the most hated guy on, well, the nicest guy in real life is the most hated guy on Twitter somehow. You know, people are angry these days. I don't know what it is that the football season's almost over. You'd think all of these wonderful genius bettors would be just so rolling in money that they would just be blissed out. But the level of anger and vitriol on Twitter is just at an all-time high these days for some reason. So what I particularly noticed is that, by the way, I used to get all sorts, I still get all sorts of hate on Twitter in all likelihood. I just don't see it anymore. Because my, you know, my move, and I highly suggest this for anyone who finds Twitter to be a toxic place, get a negative comment, just mute that person. Literally mute them. Don't block them. Mute them. Because that way, they're still typing into like the abyss. They don't get the satisfaction. Exactly. But they're wasting their own time trying to troll you and you just never see it. It's it's great. I can't do that. I'm, I'm too curious about what people are saying that I, I, I have to see it no matter what it is. You respond to everything. Like even people rip you and you come right back in and you'd like defend yourself. You gotta pick your spots. You can't respond to everything, but you just keep them, keep them on their toes a little bit. Yes. Well, uh, to each their own. Um, Circles Off is brought to you by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Pinnacle, the world's sharpest sportsbook. Now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. You must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available to bettors in the U.S. We're going to talk about Pinnacle a little bit later because we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A. Uh, we do like to do these types of episodes where we open it up to our listeners. We go through past YouTube comments. We go through our Twitter comments. And because we have you in studio, Matt, we're going to answer some more advanced questions today that me and Johnny typically don't go over. Uh, and we'll do some like non-advanced stuff as well and, and keep it light. Don't want this to just be like a two-hour math course, basically. Oh, that sounds great. But this is probably not the time or the place for that. Uh, we, I mean, we could do a, we could do like a full math based episode. Get the whiteboard out. Let's do it. Um, yeah, the I'm, whiteboard, the whiteboard. Uh, yeah, we 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 could do that. I mean, I, I'm my goal is to get more than five viewers per episode. Oh, okay, forget it then. 
my goal is to get five more than five viewers per episode. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the Circles Off YouTube channel. And also, if you do enjoy the comment, hit that thumbs up button, smash that like button. It goes a long way in the YouTube algorithm to help us out here. Um, speaking of Twitter, we had a, I mean, feud this week. <laughs> Which one? You got to be a lot more specific. Okay, let's let's bend the better and uh, court court sports. Uh, I guess for some reason uh, are doing like a one week. One week long handicapping competition. Uh, for those who don't know, Ben the Better, very prominent in the Twitter space. Um, no one really knows who he is, whether he's square or sharp. Might be bipolar, no idea. Lost to my tortoise in a betting competition. In one of the great gambling Twitter moments of the last few years. Yes. Uh, there's not a lot going on during COVID. Ben challenged me to a betting competition I told him he would have to beat my animals um, in order. My first, my tortoise, and then my dog, if he wanted to take me on. Uh, and he lost the one-week competition to my tortoise. Uh, but that hasn't stopped him from risking 10k. I, I mean, 10k quotations. Uh, I don't. I don't know what his financial situation is, but you can probably guess. I mean, he was begging for Bitcoin for a long time and stuff like that. He's posted bank statements that were with, with you know, $1.78 in his account. You know, you, 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 to each their own. And, yeah. you know, you don't judge anyone's finances. But there's a certain amount of trust that you need to have. And this goes for both parties in this uh, so-called transaction where, first of all, 10K is a, it's a big bet for a one-week handicapping challenge. For, <laughs> yes. For two people who... who you know, there's no reason to believe that they have tons and tons and tons of money. Um, you know, do it for 500 bucks, do it for a thousand bucks, do it for a hundred, do it for 20 bucks, do it for, for pride. But, you know, if you're going to bet that amount of money with people who have the reputation that, that they have, you know, she does picks on only fans and you know, right. he, he has had a history of stiffing people in the past and there's really no reason for either of these two individuals to trust each other for $10, let alone 10K. Like, if you're going to do this, use an escrow. Like, well, that's what exactly I was going to say. Like, why do they, why do people do engage in these competitions online and not escrow? So for people that don't know, an escrow would simply be, uh, if me and Matt wanted to make bets against each other, we find a neutral third party. We both send our 10K up front to that neutral third party who would hold it and then just pay out the winner. And that seems like the obvious route to go when you're dealing in the Twitter world. But that didn't happen here. They made a 10K bet. Ben wins the competition and goes to Twitter saying he hasn't been getting paid. And a lot of private conversations get aired in the public light. And uh, Court Sports says that I was going to pay you, Ben, but because of this now, I'm not paying you. Which is straight out of like Stiff's 101. Yes. Like this is this is page one of the how to be a stiff playbook. Oh, you're, 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 you're bugging me for the money. You know, you know what? You're not getting it. Serves you right. Um, there is nothing that bothers me more than welching on payments. Nothing. Because obviously it's very clear that the intent was never to pay this bet out. It looks like there's a way, like, she's working around it. And that's a pure accusation, but I don't really care because it bothers me so much. You lose a bet, fair and square, pay the money, period. You can't get out of it. Like, I hate that. Can't stand it. 
Absolutely. And then then it went to a darker place and people are doxing her and, you know, none of this stuff is okay. Like nothing that happened here is okay in any way, shape or form. Um, But like if you're going to get into this, both parties, you have to have a brain in what you're doing. Like the only possible thing you can say in her defense is had she won, would he have paid her? $10,000 $10,000 when he, he, doesn't he still owe half of Twitter, like five bucks for something he said he would pay I, I, years ago? I honestly don't know, but I, I didn't follow this in real time. I only found out about this after the fact, but if I was placing odds on would the winner of this competition get paid the 10K at the end, I would have listed that at like plus 1,000 uh, at least. I was following this in real time because yeah. I wanted to know what was going to happen. There was no way right from the jump that either party party was getting paid there was no way and then she made it she made it honestly probably worse for herself because i don't know if you guys saw the follow-up but even aside from the i was gonna pay you she she posted and was like oh winning day blah 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 and this person was like you're posting you're cherry picking winners mm-hmm. why don't you pay out ben the better if you're winning so much and she replied and said like i made 40k this week um i had a great week blah 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 and completely ignored the why don't you pay i'm like well if you made 40k 40K, shouldn't be a problem to pay out the 10k yeah oh man the twitter drama never really ceases to amaze me it keeps things interesting that's that's for sure it does there's not a single day that goes by where like something doesn't happen in the space on twitter you know if i'm if i'm judge judy and i'm arbitrating this i say i'll pay pay him 500 bucks, maybe double it to a thousand for, for mental anguish, uh, and, and, and go on your way. Cause I think each of them were, uh, were, were at least somewhat at fault in the way this whole thing was set up. Why would you do a one week competition? Like, here's the thing, like who in their right mind, I guess this is how you can tell that, that neither is really a long-term winner either, right? Like willing to just bet 10 K on a one week competition, like a sample size of how many games did they end up picking Zach? Like 20, maybe. I don't actually know the number of games. Let me check. I think, I think they would pick like two or three different variants of the same game. So even more, more, more variants that way they would pick. I, I forget exactly how they did it, but I remember seeing their bet list and it was like the, the same bet pretty much two or three times repeated. I can only shake my head. It's for attention. Like this is, this is what it was all about. It's not even beyond the realm of possibility that, that this was never a real bet. They had agreed in secret that they were going to, that, that the, Winner was going to get stiffed, and this was going to be a whole drama to get both of them lots of attention. You can never discount that possibility, especially these days. I agree. Seems like an attention grab. It's working. We're talking about it. We are. We are talking about it. Uh, By the way, I don't want to promise anything, but Ben has been messaging me about a round two against Tortellini. Oh, boy. He is ready to try to redeem himself against my tortoise. Is there going to be uh, cash considerations here as well, or is it going to be for pride only? Well, it's for 10K. <laughs> I mean, we'll probably have, we'll probably get a sports book to post odds again. By the way, that was hilarious. For those that don't know, I won't name the sports book that posted odds, but there were odds posted on the first competition, and Tortellini got steamed hard. Like he got bet up <laughs> from like that. minus 130 to minus 170 or something <laughs> like that. Like people had more faith in the tortoise against Ben. You know what you should do if if Tortellini wins again, you should win the debt. Like in Rounders, how the, the the guy went and bought up all the all the debt, Teddy KGB. I win the 10K you debt. Win the debt, and then you collect it however you see fit. 
Yeah. Imagine she paid Rob. <laughs> I would donate it to charity, but like yeah, yeah, but like <laughs> to a charity <laughs> if event. She like insta paid him <laughs> some sort of reptile shelter in honor of Tortellini, right? <laughs> that would be the. I think that would be the smart move. Um, yeah. God, I, I kind of hope people don't realize though how much how much that took out of me on a daily basis. It seemed like a lot of work. You had to get the lettuce in the right place and set up the the picks. It was a lot of work to get it set up. But I, I would like to do it again. Worth it for, for content like that. So Ben has made like a massive turnaround, right? In terms of like his actual picks recently over the last couple months. He's gone from being like pure square to I, I don't know if someone's feeding him the picks or not. Or what's it could just be random variants. But I don't know that I want Tortellini to to go down. Uh, I, I have I've given up trying to guess what's going on with with that guy. First, he was losing at a rate that was like beyond random possibilities and now all of a sudden he started winning and and you know you you, you never know what to believe what's actually going on there and I, I just don't have the mental energy anymore to try and untangle it it's good content though i'll i'll say for him he did a fade bend the better on bet stamp for a period of time and it was so good like it was so hot <laughs> it was just all the opposite of his place he's still doing it or he stopped stopped so the thing about Ben originally was not only did he lose, he somehow always got the worst possible number on a game. Like the market always steamed against him. So there was always that possibility that maybe this was a sharp person that was doing like the opposite. I think he's been accused of being you in the past, hasn't he, Rob? Oh my God, please. We need to stop this. <laughs> we Yes, I have been accused of being Ben before. Uh, I'm not Ben the better. Pretty sure you're not Ben the better. Um, I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm not Ben. The yeah, you're never, you're never a hundred percent sure. I am. I am one hundred percent sure, personally, that I'm not Ben the better. Anyways, uh, let's get into it. We did so they could make as many plays. It looks like they could make as many plays as they wanted. It was a matter of units at the end of it. That's, this reminds me of the Tortellini Ben competition as well, because the rule was like three to seven plays a day, and Ben went up like six units on the first two days. And then what do you do when you're up six units? Didn't he cheat? Didn't he ask somebody for advice on, on the strategy? He, he he posted in a forum, I think. Well, looking, like two plus two, I think, that he posted. I think he did. But I don't know that that's cheating. Honestly, there's no rules against it. But what I will say, from a pure, you're the math guy, so am I, but you're more of a math guy. From a pure optimal strategy perspective, you're in a competition where you have to pick three to seven games per day. You go up six units in the first two days. What are you going to do in day three, day four, day five? Believe in soccer, they call it parking the bus. Exactly. You're going to go with the minimum number of plays, right? That's not what Ben did. He came out firing with a seven bomb on day three, lost back a bunch of the units. Like he, he couldn't even optimize the strategy. Like there was, He wanted the style points. He wanted the second round KO. It's true. I think he was trying to show up this tortoise. <laughs> I think he was trying to show up this tortoise. Which isn't hard to do. He does a lot of stupid things. This morning I found found him uh, on his back. Tries to climb out of his The tank. tortoise or Ben? <laughs> I found the tortoise on his back. It's actually really sad to see. I flipped him back over immediately. But he's just kind of there and he's helpless. He's like waving his... Is he getting old? Don't they live like 80 years? He's going to outlive me, this tortoise. I'm almost certain. It'll be close. It's actually probably like a pick'em. Tortellini versus me in life expectancy. It's probably pretty close. No, he's he, he's very like he's very social and interested in things, 
And like when he sees something outside of his tank, he'll like try to start climbing the walls to, to see what it is. And he occasionally just falls over. It's a lot of commitment. It's the thing un- lives 80 years. What do you, what do you do? How do you, it's, it's 2070 and this thing is still alive. I would not recommend someone get a tortoise for one. It is very um, relaxing, I'd say, just to watch him and feed him sometimes. But it's a lot of work. You got to change his big water every day. He's a disaster. You know, you got to feed him every day. His, his diet is is crazy. It's like different lettuces every week, some fruits. He's got to get like some protein once a month. It's it's all over the place. So that's already a problem. But like, I like to travel. I like to go away. You know, my next door neighbor will gladly come over a couple times a day to check on the tortoise and feed him. But like what happens when I want to go away for like three months somewhere? I got no options with this guy. What happens when you're 90 and in a nursing home and that thing is still there? So really Diana bring my wife, Diana brings home this tortoise one day, like 10 years ago. And I'm like, what the hell is this? What, what are you doing? And she was like, an impulse buy this tortoise. She bought a tortoise. It was about the size of like the top of this coffee cup right here, small coaster size. And I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? She's like, yeah, it was the tortoise and whatever is like. It's an Im- impulse buy and it's an 80 year commitment. Like forget Kanye talking about 18 years. This is 80. This is your life. And then some, then what happened was we moved from downtown Toronto to the suburbs. And when we were going to move, I'm like, I'm not setting up any friggin' tortoise apparatus in, in this new house. Like, it ain't happening. We donated the tortoise to the local library. And he became like a huge hit at the library. Okay, like all these kids would come in and there was like educational classes around him. He had his own like pick section in the Tortellini's picks. They were all like, you know, Franklin books and stuff like that, obviously, right? Whatever. Then COVID hit. And they couldn't go into the library anymore. Everyone was working from home. So I got a call from the library saying like, hey, you need to take Tortellini back. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, we don't have anyone here that can check in on him every day and feed him and whatever. I shit you not. I went to pick up this tortoise from the library. The guy that handed him over to me was bawling, crying. He's like, I'm going to miss this guy so much. And like tears. I'm like, it's okay, man. It's just like, he's just come a, visit him anytime. He's just a tortoise. He's like, he's like, please, like, here's my email. Send me pictures. Let me know how Should he's doing. Keep the thing. That's what I was thinking afterwards. But I was like, I would have even taken the call. Would have been like, no English, no English. <laughs> but, but now I'm attached to Tortellini again. Like my wife is always like, we need to do something about this tortoise. He takes up way too much space. He's making all sorts she of noise. She got him. I, b- believe me, guys, I'm aware. But now I'm the one that's attached. Wow. And also, like, he's a he's a content king. He is. He's he's famous. He, he Tortellini drew more views for his videos than I've done drawn with any video I've ever done. Not surprised. There were more people who tuned in to see a tortoise pick out one of two pieces of lettuce to make a pick on a game. Someone created a, a tortoise Twitter account. Like, this thing is famous. You should put it right here. Have it be like the mascot of, uh, of I, Circles Off. I tried to pawn him off on the Bet Stamp office at one point, and that didn't go over well. Nor could people here take care of him. There's no way Johnny is going to take care of a tortoise. Like, let's call it out for what it is. Can't be that hard. A couple of things of lettuce. It's work. Like, it's work. Got to spritz down the tank every day. Make sure it's humid. You know, got to bathe him. 
Gotta have a b- b- baths every now and then. It's a lot. I got a fish tank at home, and the t- two of the fish started laying eggs and having babies. Mm. And the babies would just every few weeks they would have twenty babies, and the babies would just wake up in the morning they'd be gone. Mm. I realized this morning what was happening that the the filter in the fish tank. Oh no! no. I baby. can't hear this. You, you stop. <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw up. I turn I turn off the filter, so that's uh, got it. We're 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 we're, we're we're still alive now, but you get a little that, queasy. Thinking that about that mystery stuff. is solved. I, I I saved some lives today. What have you done today? To help the planet. I woke up at 11 o'clock. Splitting headache today. I'm, I'm messed up. I got like a, I got nerve damage in like the C2 vertebrae of my spinal cord. Yeah, we were going to golf this summer. Right? I know. You're all but, like, so I like my, my arm pain is really neck pain. It's stemming from up here. So I'm doing physio. I'm doing uh, acupuncture. Have you ever had dry needling done? Jesus Christ, no. it's painful, man. It's like acupuncture, but they move the needle around yeah. inside to like. Ugh. Yeah. Why? This is supposed to help. Yeah, it's supposed to. But help. it works out now. It works. I mean, yeah. I, I'm feeling better. Like my arm is getting. I still can't like extend it fully straight, which bothers me. And I wake up with like this neck pain and shoots. You know, I. They put the needle in, and the needle hurts a lot. The needle, needle comes out. The needle doesn't the hurt okay. on itself. The needles go in for acupuncture; doesn't hurt. It wasn't like they they swing an aluminum bat in the warm up uh, in the on deck circle, and it, it makes the regular bat feel lighter. Oh, your regular pain is nothing compared to these needles we're gonna jam into your neck. I Not just like that. I need to get myself fixed so I can golf. If I cannot golf this year, I don't know what I'm gonna do, man. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I you, you're a, a member at a very nice course. I had to turn you down a couple times this year. I was, you, you probably thought I was bullshitting you. Like this guy doesn't want to come out and golf with me. No, my, my arm is messed oh, I, up. I believe you. I'm not sure I believe you about not being Ben, but I believe you. About oh this. my God. That's it. That, that's the cue to move on. <laughs> I am not Ben the better people. I am not. Um, all right. Q and a, we got a bunch of questions. We're not going to get to every single one of them. I'll be completely honest with you. We're picking and choosing here. Uh, we do want to get to some more advanced topics. Some of them are just like one word answers. So we're going to skip those. I do appreciate everyone's, you know, feedback. And we will save some of these Q&As for the next episode. But let's get into it. Um, and we'll start here. The short-term sample size tell us more about a team later in the football season than long sample size. Which is the more relevant data, uh, data sample? Season long or most recent three to four games. Yeah, this is a good one. So I, I forget exactly who it was who asked this question, but thank you, whoever it was. Uh, it's something that that I do a lot of work on, um, quote unquote, small data. You know, how, how small a sample size is too small. Where do you make the trade-off between uh, recency or what some people call form um, against kind of a longer sample of, of, of season long? And I, I have done some work on this in the past in the context of the NFL. And what I found was that when you use what's called an exponential decay model, so every game you go back into the past is a, a another multiplier on how much weight should get uh, applied to that game. So the, the optimal weight I found is around 0.93. So if you're looking at a team and you want to evaluate how well they've been doing this season or how well they might do next week, yep. you give the most recent game a weight of one. Right. You gave the next most recent game 0.93. Right. The next most recent game 0.93 squared. Next one 0.93 cubed up, up, up and so on. Got it. Um, up to a max of, I think, about seven games. Once you hit seven games, you're far enough back in the in the history that they all kind of matter the same. Whether If, if next week is game 15, 
game one through game eight kind of matter the same amount once you get kind of back that 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 far uh, that far. So what that means is if you have 13 games we've had so far in the NFL season each team has played, it's worth about 9.3 games worth of weight. Got it. So when you look at the trade-off, what you're doing, you're, you're, you're gradually discovering through each game how good a team is. No one really knows how good any team is in any given year. And you're gradually discovering that through each new data point you're getting. But at the same time, the thing you're observing is changing throughout time because teams are getting better and they're getting worse and you have injuries and whatnot. And those two things kind of trade each other off because you want to look at more recent games. The more something is changing, the more you want to look at more recent games, the more stable it is you want larger sample size. So it's it's kind of a, a hard trade-off to make. And that's you know what I've found, at least in the context of NFL, is the benefit you get from increasing your sample size tends to outweigh um, the loss in specificity from using kind of game two when it's game 14 next week? This is a really good question. Um, I think it's an inherent challenge with anyone who bets on the NFL is like, do I use my season long data? Do I use last three weeks, last four? Um, and I think for me personally, Matt, it's very team specific as well. So you mentioned that like the stability in the data, right? There are some teams that make a quarterback switch midseason. So to me, the data prior to that is irrelevant because you're dealing with a new quarterback. Yeah, and the Falcons this week. Like they're they're starting Desmond Ritter. What's the guy's name? Desmond Ritter. Heard of him? Has he played yeah. before? No, he's a rookie quarterback. He's a rookie quarterback coming in for Mariota. Yeah. So yeah, when you get something like that, like even the the yeah exactly thirteen games to date aren't going to tell you a heck of a lot about uh, what's going on. So that's where you get. Larger variance, you get larger parameter variance. And what I say in these situations um, is you want to look for bets that are plus money because yeah. the more uncertainty you have about what's going on, um, the more unexpected things might happen. So if they're pricing, I don't know, what's Atlanta this week? Do you, do you know? Uh, Four-point underdogs four at the Saints. Yeah. So the chance Atlanta wins by 14 or more, covers 13, minus 13 and a half would I would say be higher than your average four-point underdog covering 13 and a half. Agreed. And if the books don't adjust for that, if they just have a conversion chart from, you know, four and a half to an outline of minus 13 and a half, when they go with that, that's where you might be able to pick up some value in, in looking at kind of those, those, those tail events, those outliers. Yep. Completely agree with you there. Uh, next question. Do you think markets and models will soon become advanced enough to reach true efficiency too quickly to beat? Essentially... With the advancements in machine learning and AI, as well as the speed of injury slash market info, do you worry about the long-term viability of sports betting? I think that's something that will happen in the future. I don't think we're all that close to it yet. I think we probably have a good 5-10 years before the computers become good enough at our jobs to be able to replace us. I think it's going to happen with everyone's jobs eventually. Yep. Um, but I don't think we're quite there yet. I'm not quite as bullish on artificial intelligence and machine learning, at least in a predictive sports context than, than other people might be. I'll give you an example of a model I, I reviewed in the past that uh, it was a machine learning model based on 100,000 data points. Okay. And some of the output it was giving didn't really pass the smell test, didn't make intuitive sense. So I went to the guys who built the model and said, hey, do me a favor, let's try this experiment. Pick one row out of the 100,000 randomly, any one row, delete it, 
and refit the model on the other 99,999 rows. Right. Totally different model. Yep. Like came out completely different. Mm -hmm. And and that to me sort of confirmed that that at least the current technology in some of these machine learning applications is really good for a lot of stuff. Like you've seen probably what's the, the chat bot called uh, GPT that everyone's yep. talking about. It's great at stuff like that. But when it comes time to do predictive analytics, I think there are still, there's still a ways to go in the technology is my general opinion. Now I'm biased because I don't do a lot of that machine learning stuff. So I have kind of a natural cynicism towards it. I'm sure there are people doing it. I'm sure there are people who are great at it. I'm sure it can be used carefully um, to, to, to get some really good insight. But I think a lot of people have this notion of, okay, just take 100,000 rows of data, dump it into a black box model. And the and computer is going to figure it out. The computer is going to figure it out. Yeah. Like, that's just not where we are right now. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Um, that whole, like, black box type of learning and stuff like that, it's also just, like, an extreme headache for... So you, you mentioned that you've done some stuff around this, like troubleshooting this stuff, oh, and like luck. trying to figure out why your model arrived at an output. It's impossible. And if there's a mistake in one of your inputs, you'll just say, well, that's what the model said. That's the output. Like you, there's just, it, it creates this laziness in, in the modeler that uh, will generally not lead to good outcomes. There is something to be said about keeping models simple. 100%. 100%. Like you, you can try to, to account for every single thing. Every added degree of complexity now creates complexity. Um, troubleshooting then becomes like a major issue. Like, you know, I, I went from just doing like linear regression models for baseball to doing simulations, Monte Carlo simulations. And now you have to account for everything starting pit. Well, you always did, but now it's, the, the game is constructed in a different format. You get a, a price that, comes back that's like completely different than what you expect it to be trying to find where where the model came up with that is is it's just like it's, it takes hours it creates risk the, the more steps in your process the more steps that can possibly have errors in them the more assumptions that are implicit in your model the more assumptions that could potentially be wrong yep and when you complexity just compounds all this because it makes it so that if something is wrong it is harder for you to spot it and, you know, maybe you don't spot it until you've lost 100 units in, in, in bad bets. Like, these are things that, that can and, and do happen. So I, I talk a lot on Twitter about model risk and about, you know, it's not just, it, 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 there's some downside to more technically complex models. There's upside, too. Like, there, there's a time and a place for everything. But we don't want to confuse elegance with functionality. You can have a really sexy, really great-looking model and you can have, you know, a couple of lines in a spreadsheet beside it. There's no style points in this game. Right. You can make the best prediction with the least amount of risk you can. And, and that's how you win. Agreed. Uh, next question has a pretty uh, rough tone to it. I'll, I'm not going in order here, by the way, Matt, just so you know. But uh, I'm, this was asked by probably someone who doesn't like you a whole lot. Ah, join the club. When will you move on trying to beat a main market... Or is low limit season long EV your entire wheelhouse? So I'll just provide some background, uh, but obviously you're known for uh, a lot of things within the Twitter community and how you specifically bet. You're not known for, for as someone who originates main markets. 
uh, which have a large number, a large amount of liquidity. So I'll let you answer this yourself. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this in this question. No matter how much in bad faith it was asked, I will I will answer it honestly. Um, so I, I do a lot of derivative markets, prop markets, futures markets, and they do have lower limits. They're not that low. Like I, I bet a lot of regular season win totals, all regular season win totals before the season, and I'm I'm you can get down. Know, two, three thousand at each of a large number of different shops. So we're not talking like twenty-five dollar, uh, you know, strikeout props here or anything. This, this is this is not a Mickey Mouse uh, market we're dealing with. But the question still is a legitimate one: is why haven't I ever, or do I ever plan to to originate major markets? And this is something I've asked myself a lot. The main reason I haven't is I don't know how my skills stack up to the rest of the people in in the market you know the people for good reason are very secretive about their own models and their own process like i've never seen your nfl model rob i've never seen rufus's golf model so part of me says if i ever got to look at some of these things i'd be like oh i can beat that in my sleep and part of me says if i ever got to look at them i'd be like wow I, I i could spend 10 years and still not be anywhere close to this and i really don't know kind of what that bar is to be profitable in a large liquid market. And so with no guarantee that I'll ever be any good at this, the amount of time I would have to, to put into it to find out is just more free time than I'm willing to spend right now. Now, that being said, I have started working on something for college basketball. You've probably seen me put up my weekly uh, Bayesian 25 uh, power rankings. There is a model underlying that that I've started to, to tinker with a little bit. It's it's back testing okay, not great. You know, 51, 52% against the spread uh, closing lines, which is better than nothing. But I think the biggest weakness in that model right now is it's entirely team level. Just uses, yeah. you know, line scores and that's it. Um, so if someone gets hurt, it's going to give me a prediction that's way off and ter- a terrible prediction. And I'm, you know, I don't know really any of these players and any of these teams. So I'm not probably going to be able to spot it. So what I've started to do is go back and... and um, scrape some box score data, scrape some player level data to at least see if I can come up with a strength rating to say, okay, Duke is playing at 85% of full strength, looking mm-hmm. at what players are starting versus kind of who their team is is made up of. So that's still a work in progress. Um, there's a lot of, no- there's a number of ways you can go about it. Um, that's an interesting one. I never thought about doing a strength rating type of thing. We usually, I would just, you know, kind of scrape the stuff. I guess it's the same thing. Uh, what I was going to describe is just the same thing, different terminology for it. Um, it's a Twitter-related question. Why does Steve Fezzik have such a strong hater following when his info on podcasts and how he explains the math can help betters? Steve Fezzik does have a pretty large following on Twitter. I'll give my thoughts on Steve Fezzik, but I will start with you. Okay. So Steve Fezzik is one of the first people I ever followed when I joined Twitter. I think it was like 10 years ago or so. Like he's someone who even people outside of the space, he's a name that people. He, he had know. won some big football contests before, right? Yeah. That was like. Small fields, stale lines. But, claim you know, to still, fame was, was yeah, that. Yeah. You know, better, better, better to have a claim to fame than no claim to fame at all. Listen, it, I mean, it still takes some fundamental like strategy to win a pool like that. Even if it's stale lines, like I'm sure there's a lot of people in those pools that had no idea what they were doing. So I don't want to dismiss those as like... For sure. Yeah. And he, he does strike me in, in a lot of what he says as a reasonably smart guy. Um, I think the issue with him is, is he sells picks, which is obviously a red flag. 
He sells picks as part of pregame, which is a double mm-hmm. red flag. I don't know if people who are kind of newer to the space know this, but there was a big expose on, I think it was Deadspin about 2016 or so. Yep. Where they went through and actually graded all of pregame's picks and like every tout on there, including Fezzik, was a long-term loser. Yeah. I remember at that time I was tracking uh, Philly Godfather's picks and all the different animals as well because whoever wrote that article I forget his name um, he had reached out to me about including that in the I think Ryan Goldberg I think was that that was the one yeah yeah so so like a lot of people are out there a lot of people are selling picks but him especially seems like someone who should and probably does know better like knows either he knows what he's selling is garbage and doesn't care because he just wants the money or he's somehow tricked himself into thinking there's some value. Like when you go to his, his website on pregame, Oh, here are all of Fezzik's hot streaks. He's, you know, 30 and 20 in his last 50. It's the classic marketing you know, tactic, right? It's the classic marketing tactic. Like Johnny will always say this, right? If you market that you're eight and zero in your last eight games, I can guarantee he's eight and one in his last nine. For sure. For sure. And, and you know, people are probably going to call me out on this because I am involved in selling stuff too. As was I. Uh, you know, but the, the difference is that when I ask people for money for something, I have a bona fide belief and, and a responsibility, a self-imposed responsibility to give people something of value for, for the money they're paying. And if you gave me a lie detector test and said, hey, Matt, do you really believe that what you're, you're selling is worth is, you know, the actual value is in the eye of the beholder, but it's it's worth something. I would say absolutely yes. I think if you gave Fezzik a lie detector test and asked him about the value he's providing selling picks at pregame, I'm not so sure he would say yes. I f- I agree with you. So I think that I think Fezzik's actually very smart person. I've seen him speak a lot. He does the podcast with Ross Tucker as well, um, and. I think he's intelligent when it comes to betting. I think he's always going to be dragging the mud because of the pick selling. Whether or not that's right, that's up to you to decide. The one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers about Fezzik, though, is the tone of the tweets a lot of times, where it's just like, you're a dummy if you don't do this. And like I'm paraphrasing. But the whole, oh, all of you guys watched this you know, college football game today or whatever, I was a bit... I was using that time to bet props or whatever. And it's like, okay, good for you, Steve. Like there's, guess what? There's people who like watching the games and enjoying the games. Like he he makes it seem everything to Steve is like matter of fact. If you don't do this, then you're not a real better. And I've learned over the years that there's like, what's, I I don't want to get in trouble with PETA again. I can't say. peel than one way to peel the potato. There's more than one way to peel the potato. And there's sports bettors can do anything. Like for me, I try to spend as minimal time as I can on certain days because I would rather just enjoy sports. And that doesn't make me less of a better than someone who's going to grind away props in the entire NFL Sunday. And I think to me, particularly as someone who doesn't care that Steve Fezzik sells picks, um, I, I care about like the tone of, you know, everything is just so matter of fact if you don't do this then you're this and like i don't agree with that at all i don't either it doesn't personally bother me as much as it bothers you probably because i've i've been around that type of 
person probably a lot more than you have in my life. You know, he, he, he and I, at least his former profession is the, the same as mine. So th there are a lot of people. Was he, was he an actuary? He was okay. uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and there are a lot of people who are smart in highly technical fields who can develop that kind of, of attitude. And it's, it's, I've, I've been around, not just him, but people like that, um, quite often in my life and I've actually tried to, to learn from that. And I, I've, I think it's helped me with compassion and, and, you know, understanding that not everyone is as hardcore about everything as you have to be. And p different people have, have the right to live their lives however they want. Um, but th there, there is definitely a lot of, of, of that attitude, not just with, with Fezzik, but all over the place, Twitter and in real life. Uh, he tweeted on December 10th, I keep hearing about all these big betting syndicates that simply won't bet any NFL games until Sunday so they can bet zillions on profitable NFL sides at the highest limits. I simply don't believe it. I think the number of groups that actually play this way is zero. So for me, I know and work with a group that exclusively bets on Sundays, NFL, period, uh, Toronto-based betting group so that they can bet not zillions, but like they can get a lot down and they don't honestly care a ton about closing line value. They think that the model that they have for betting football is, you know, extremely good and they're willing to risk that at higher limits. So like, it's like this matter of fact stuff. It's like now granted, he says, I think the number of groups that do this is zero, but like, look at the ways some of the lines move on Sundays, right? Look at the Cleveland Browns last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. Somebody is waiting for limits to go up to 50k at pinnacle before ripping yeah, you, bets on that you talk about it all the time on, on pizza buffet like it's I, I thought it was just common knowledge that that that, that occurs did you get that in real time did, did you pull that up did, did zach did zach feed you that that's good no i'm i'm i'm, I'm, you're, I'm you're, a pro man when you, i do this you, stuff you've got you got quite the uh Listen, quite the google I've, finger i've been there. doing this for a long time so obviously but um i, I was specifically trying oh here's the one december 3rd if you were sitting on a couch watching U.S. soccer pregame and the game the last 60 minutes, lower your betting power rating 14 points. You should have been betting a zillion plus EV things. It's a Saturday morning full of product. Full of product. Like, if you were, if you were enjoying the U.S. in the World Cup, which happens once every four years, lower your betting power rating 14. Like, this is the most... Betting this, power rating. This is the this is a <laughs> such a dumb arrogant tweet and this is my problem with I don't follow Steve Fezzik not because I don't think he's a smart guy or anything but like a tweet like that makes me so upset like let people do whatever the fuck they want to do is it like enjoy a soccer you, you could have been betting a zillion plus EV things yeah you can sure you could have been grinding away a bunch of college football at that time probably and finding some off-market prices or whatever or guess what you could have lived your life and enjoyed your life and did something that you wanted to do and watched a u.s soccer game life is short you might walk out on the street and get hit by a bus this afternoon like you you, you never know so you have you have to do things that you enjoy and if, if grinding uh, college basketball half times is what you enjoy, then more power to you. But it isn't necessarily what everyone enjoys. Like, it's great to win money, but money is just like a means to an end, right? You have to use Agreed. that money to do things that, that you enjoy. Otherwise, you're just going to be grinding until one day you'll drop dead. And then, like, what's the, what's, the, what's the meaning of a life like that, you know? 
That's one of the worst tweets I've ever read, by the way. It's it's legitimately one of the worst tweets I've ever read. It's like, oh, look at me. I'm I'm committed to my craft. It's like, great. You know what I do? I spend like 15 minutes a night firing some, you know, and I, I some off-market prices and I get a ton of EV and it takes me 15 minutes and then I enjoy the rest of my night. It's a way to do it. I mean, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, if somebody wants to spend every hour of every day finding bets, grinding prop, like to each their own, do it's it. It's telling you, it. well, if you don't, if you don't live your life the way I live mine, then you're exactly. an idiot and exactly. you're, you're not optimizing the value of your time. Exactly. Go to hell. Where I would argue that he's not optimizing the value of his life yeah. by doing that. Spanky tweets. When I first met Plus EV Analytics at BetBash 2, I got so excited I hugged him and lifted him off the ground. Was he as excited to see me? Also, I hope to see all of you at BetBash in August. I will try to make it to BetBash in August. I'm pretty sure I'll be there. My sister's getting married in August of next year, so we might have... It's, it's going to be dicey for me. Yeah, I, I am in the similar position. I'm going to try to make it. I have a family trip to Vegas planned for the last week that of August. That sounds like August. a big mistake. Actually, Steve Fezzik tweets, <laughs> if you're taking your family to Vegas, Minus lower CV. your power rating by 17, by 69 points plus EV. Not only that, yeah, here, here, here's the biggest. EV. Well, sp speaking of negative EV, we're, we're, we're going to stay at Bellagio because that's where the family wants to stay. And my sure. daughter loves the fountains and everything. And it's great, except that I, I could get comped at Caesars because I have so many points from betting all these uh, NFL futures mm. at Caesars. So I'm probably going to end up passing up a comped room at Caesars to stay at Bellagio because that's how much I love my family. Um, anyway, what was the question again? Bet bash. Um, yeah, so this would be like a two Vegas trip in, in a three-week period kind of thing, which I'm never going to say no to. But uh, you but know. were you as excited to see Spanky when, as when he hugged you and lifted you off the ground? Uh, so I wasn't like lift him off the ground excited. Uh, Spanky's a great guy. I, I didn't know he had that kind of core strength. Like I'm, you know, I'm not a <laughs> He's not stronger a than guy. he looks. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. But... I, I will say, Bet Bash last year. I don't know if he can ever duplicate what how great that was. I'm sure he's going to try, but yeah, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Like getting to to be there in the same room as you know all of these amazing, not only great betters, but just cool people, and then getting to to be part of the one of the uh, seminars and like being able to to actually be involved in this gathering of, of people who are the best in the world and what they do. Like it's, it's one of those things always going to be kind of a, a career accomplishment uh, for me. So, but even aside from that, just the people I've met people I could still keep in touch with today and uh, definitely look forward. I will do my best to be there uh, again. Spanky. I mean, the guy's like a cartoon character, right? He is just like, yeah. he is larger than life. And, and you know, he, he is, just a great guy, great event organizer. Um, I was definitely excited to see him as well. He was one of the people that like, okay, what is this guy going to be like? I know what he's like on Twitter. Nothing can prepare you for what he's like in, in, in real life. Um, just, you know, not enough great things to say about Spanky, about Bet Bash, um, and, and the whole thing. And I hope to be there again this year. Spanky's hilarious. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I listened to... Be better, betters. Um, better, betters. Be better, betters. I'm the host. I listen on one and a half times speed, and it's still slower than one times speed for any other show. <laughs> that, that that Tony Soprano accent. It is. Um, 
I would highly recommend people check out that podcast as well. Somebody asked him a Mary fuck kill question, uh, which was Kelly in Vegas, Rob Pizzola and Joey Kanish. And he said that he would fuck Kelly because he's, you know, she's the, f- the female of the group and that's the way, you know, he swings. Uh, and then he said that he would marry me because he, he like gets along with me and, and, uh, he wouldn't want to marry Kanish because then he would be stuck living in a basement in Detroit, <laughs> in Detroit for a while. So I messaged Spanky and I was like, that was hilarious. I was hysterical. I was dying of laughter. And he's like, Rob, I'm reading word for word. I'd love to marry you. I'd love it. You'd make the best roommate. This is the funniest like message. Oh, it's true. It. I'd marry you too, Rob, for what it's worth. Um, yeah. I mean, in that group, I think that's like the only answer that you could you could go with. I don't think Kanish and I could have a successful marriage after this week. <laughs> Kanish is, uh, yeah, he's another guy that's been coming after you. I don't know. Like it's, it's the, you're both part of the hammer betting network. You guys need to get along. I guess, but Hey, like, and if you watched uh primetime on Thursday nights with Joey Kanish and Andrew Walker before the, uh, Thursday night football games, Joey Kanish did call out Matt. I, plus I didn't watch it, but I did hear that that happened. Yeah. I, someone fill me in here. What? So, uh, well, I'll let you explain the tweet that you put out about the exacta prior to. So I've, I've got a couple of exact regular season win bets. And one of them that I have is on the Raiders to win exactly five games. Yes. And they have won exactly five games to date. Another one I had was on the Rams to win exactly three games. And they have won three games, or they had won three games up until last Thursday. So I was like, all right, two, two bets. One of these things is going to live and one of them is going to die. And, and, you know, Joey's like, I forget exactly what he said. I'm sure you can pull it up in three seconds, but it was, you know, heard enough about your exacta bets. You, all you do is talk about these bets all day long. It's like, okay, like, I, I don't know what's going on. Everyone has their own. Uh... I can get it though. I can under, so yours don't particularly bother me, but like, there's nothing for me that's more nails on the chalkboard than like the, the the people posting their fantasy lineups on the weekend oh, yeah. and talking about, oh, like this guy got hurt. I lost my thing. It's like, no, nobody cares. Like I, so I can get that from that perspective. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. So he replied, how many tweets can you two possibly get out of a couple NFL exacta bets during one season? Because I'm sure this is the world record. And he was referring yeah. to UNRX Gamble? Yeah, yes. which I don't yeah. want to get into. I, I think... That might have been directed more at her than at me because she's been tweeting, you know, check marks and X's every uh, every game. And then Rob, he says, "This is like the exact version of the guy who tells you about his fantasy game." Okay, I, I actually didn't even read that, but it actually. And he goes, "Gonna kill myself if tonight ends in a tie." <laughs> but then on the show, which that you can watch on the Hammer HQ on YouTube or follow us on Twitter at the Hammer Betting Network, the Hammer HQ, he said. I'm cheering for a Raiders win tonight <laughs> because of our friend plus EV. You know what? He he is entitled to his opinion. I'm sure if we went through all of his 10 million tweets, we could find some equally uh, asinine stuff in there. I'm going gonna, gonna to need to send out like a hammer betting network <laughs> memo this week and make sure everyone's <laughs> friends going into the holiday seat. This right. thing's going to fall apart in the next two months because it's of, just, because of you tweeting out your, your, your season long future. Stressful stuff. time out there. Maybe it's the holidays. Maybe it's people are not doing well in their NFL bets this year. I don't know. Maybe it's the weather. 
Uh, maybe it's uh, living in a basement in Detroit. I don't. I don't know. People maybe. are just extra jumpy these days. It's because his uh, South Alabama Jaguars future fell off a cliff. Oh, yeah. it's a tough life. Tough life. It's a tough life. Um, all right. Uh, another football qu- question. Um, this has come up in previous Q and A's as well that myself and Johnny didn't answer. So uh, I could not hit a twenty yard field goal. If that's what you're going to ask, <laughs> you don't strike me as an athletic type. <laughs> Don't mean to offend you. Thank you. um, How would you approach first quarter football betting? Can this be beaten by simply generating a derivative from the game odds, or is there a better approach? So generally, yes, you'd want to look at a derivative of the game odds. Now, there is a bit of an exception when it comes to first quarter betting. There's something that used to be a lot more valuable than it is now, where some, some coaches would sometimes take the ball if they win the coin toss and then you could bet on them to score first or win the first quarter or whatever. That's, I think that's almost extinct in the, in the NFL. There might be a couple of coaches in college who do it, but it's not the same as it used to be. I remember, uh, it must've been four or five years ago when Arians was coaching Tampa Bay, he would take the ball first every time Yep. so that if he wins the toss, he takes it. The other team wins, they defer. Yeah. So, so Tampa get gets the ball first, no matter what. Um, that was the height of the, uh, Jameis Pixton, era he threw i don't know how many interceptions he threw that year but it was a lot so he would take the ball first as expected i'm betting on tampa to score first i'm betting on tampa to win the first quarter boom turnover turnover every single time like and i don't know how you can lose money with an angle that good but i did that knowing you're gonna get the first possession yeah Yeah, that's upsetting and the books did not adjust for it like when tampa was a three-point favorite their odds to score first were the same as any other three-point favorite on the board um, I'm, I'm still shedding a tear at that missed opportunity. That would be upsetting. It, it, it was infuriating. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so aside from that quirky angle around, around getting the ball first, I, I think you're, you're looking at first quarter. It's the same as you're looking at any other derivatives. And I had a tweet thread about this, uh, a couple of, uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago when Rufus was talking about unabated and their, their teaser calculator. There's a couple different ways you can do this. You can build a model. To say, okay, how does the how does the the first quarter spread correlate, or the first quarter outcome correlate with the game spread and the total? And that's a perfectly fine way of doing it. Another way you can do it that I've gotten a little more fond of recently is finding a sample of games that are sufficiently similar in terms of spread and total mm-hmm. to today's game, and looking at if you can get a sufficiently large sample of sufficiently similar games. Yep. You just count up, you know, how often did the favorite cover minus three in the first quarter. The nice thing about that is it doesn't have the same number of, of assumptions, same amount of, we were talking about complexity early, earlier. Yep. It's a much simpler approach. And also, if you want to get into things like pricing same game parlays, pricing correlated parlays, if you are modeling that out, you will find that it gets very, very complicated very, very quickly, where if you're doing you know, the sort of querying approach or sampling approach, you know, what, whether you're counting up how many times the, they've won the first quarter and they've gone under and the quarterback has thrown an interception, like it's no more complex to sum up, you know, a, a combination, the number of games that, that, that hit a combination of criteria, you know, than a single criteria. So the complexity doesn't really scale with the complexity of the thing you're trying to model. So, I, I used to be more of a modeling purist where, you know, you want to, you want to do this right. You build a model, but I'm gradually, as I get into more and more complex stuff, same game parlays, et cetera, 
I, I am being um, turned on to the value of just finding a representative sample of games as long as it's large enough and yep. just counting how many times did the thing happen in, in your sample. Can you still do that if there's a major rule change in the sport? You can. It gets a lot trickier. Because like you still might end up with a the same uh, spread in total. But in one instance, the extra point was kicked from the 20-yard line. In one instance, the extra points kicked from the 37. Yeah. Do you treat those as the same? I don't. So I actually apply a weighting factor. Okay. I say, okay, if, if you're after, was it 2015 they changed the extra point? They rule? did that. 2015 was extra point, And then I think a couple years prior was the illegal contact oh, okay. change. But yeah. I think the extra point, when you're looking at actual distributions of winning margins, the extra point would matter more than pretty much anything else. Yeah. Uh, looking at conditional on a given spread and a given total, what's probability it lands, you know, each possible number. Um, so it, I, I asked myself the same question. If I just ignore everything pre-2015, my sample size will be smaller. If I include everything, then I'm going to get all kinds of non-representative data. So what I landed on is just keeping everything and up-weighting. You know, apply like a 2 or 3x multiplier to the weight I'm giving each game if it was past 2015. Is that the best way of doing it? Like uh, a lot of things in analytics, there there is no easy right or wrong answer. True. Fair enough. Um, let's get to a few more here. Uh, we'll go, I don't want to say rapid fire, but we'll try to work through as many of these as quickly as we can. Uh, I'm just learning and betting, and I usually use Pinnacle to determine edges against other books. Is it worth it to open up a Pinnacle account? If I do, how do I know I, if I should be betting into it, in quotes, that I could beat it? So the answer to is it worth opening up a blank account is almost always yes. I would go further with saying I agree with you. Like a lot of people are like, oh, that sports book's going to limit me or whatever. Okay. Like you can take advantage of them until that happens yeah, for a while. Take one. your money. And honestly, when they do limit you, there's still ways to, even with a limited account, put in a lot of plus EV bets and in a lot of cases, plus EV parlays, stuff like that, where you can still have an advantage over the book. In the case of Pinnacle, they are a low vig sports book. They are a low vig sports book, which matters a lot. It matters for everyone. And the, the funny thing with Pinnacle is they market themselves as you know winners welcome or open to pro betters, which is wonderful. But I think that the true value, the more widespread value of a book like Pinnacle is really to the rec betters, because when you are just looking to make a bet on your favorite team, have a sweat, bet for fun. Yep. I, I play blackjack for fun. I play blackjack recreationally. I have no expectation of making money. I know it's minus EV. You know, I do it for any You don't have to pretend that you don't count cards and make it plus EV. I don't have the ability to count cards. People think counting cards is a math thing. It's not a math thing. It is a mental focus and concentration thing. The math is like four plus one. Yeah. It is the, it is the mental focus that I absolutely do not have. So I don't count cards. But... What I do do when I play blackjack is I use basic strategy yep. because it's not that hard to learn. You, it doesn't take away from your enjoyment of the game, but you understand you're going to pay a tax in terms of minus EV, but you want to pay as little tax as possible. Yep. And that I think is how recreational bettors should view sports betting. I, I'm not, I have no intention as a recreational better of, of you know making this a career or even being positive over the course of my life at this. I'm doing it for entertainment. I'm doing it for fun. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But what I would recommend that you do is open up accounts at as many books as you can, including Pinnacle. Use an odd screen like Betstamp. And you know, you'll see if you open up Betstamp or any of the other odd screens out there that any given game, any given day, 
you know, pinnacle is going to be all over the place yeah. as the best odds because they're, they're, I mean, the fact that they're a sharp book um, means that a, a, an advantage player would not be able to find as much value in there because their lines are sharp. But if you're just, you know, Joe Sixpack who enjoys betting on the Patriots, you know, you don't care how sharp the book is. You, you want to lower the tax you're paying. And I think that is the real kind of hidden value of a, of a book like Pinnacle, not just to pros, but to everyone. Agreed. I'm a huge proponent of line shopping. I talk about this with Johnny all the time, and I think you bring up a great point. If you open up BetStamp and you were to just look at the NFL screen for next week, and you're trying to find the best price in market on any given side or total or even props, Pinnacle's all over the board. And people don't realize the amount of money they can save by just taking the best price available um, or the more money that they can win. It's like, you know, double-edged sword, right? You win, you win more, you lose, you lose less, period, plain and simple. So from that reason, I think it is like a staple. Pinnacle Sportsbook, sponsor of Circles Off, is an absolute staple for every single sports better. And on top of that, if you are someone who bets a lot of money and you get tired of getting limited by different sports books and you're sick of that, and the Cambi books are cutting you off and you're getting referred to trader for $2.82 and you know, you're you getting the spinning wheel. It takes two minutes for them to confirm a bet. Pinnacle doesn't do that, which is beautiful as well. You go in, you know what the limits are of what you're betting. You bet it, you move on with life. So highly, highly recommend having a Pinnacle account in your uh, portfolio of betting accounts. No nonsense book in a world full, full of, of nonsense. nonsense. Exactly, exactly. Uh, do you think books offering early payouts offers in sports like soccer and ice hockey, it would be plus EV to still bet these markets if you were getting a better price somewhere else? It's a good question. Obviously, it would depend on on how much worse of a number you're taking and, and you know what the actual early payout offer is. I think some books have, was it three goals for hockey, yeah. 17 points for football, things like that. So. I actually haven't modeled this out, but I can tell you how I would do it uh, if I did. I would look at it as two separate bets. I would look at the original bet that that you made, and then I would look at them giving you a free bet that pays you know two to one on your team going up seventeen points, three goals, whatever, and losing. So you'd have to price out that bet. You know, if I'm betting a hundred dollars on, on the Leafs money line, I'm also getting you know a, a Say I'm betting Leafs at, at, at even money. I'm also getting a $200 payout if the Leafs go up three goals and lose. So if I'm able to somehow price that out, you can actually figure out, oh, that was a bad example, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, boy. That, was so that wasn't even intentional. Gosh. Oh, it, must so be like, it must be like buried in my psyche. End this now. This I sw- I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I swear that was not intentional. Um <laughs> Lost my train of thought now. Um, you, yeah, you price it as two separate bets. Now, it's easier said than done because there's no market in the world that I've ever seen that will lay you a price on a team going up a certain amount of goals and then eventually losing. So that's when you'd probably have to model out yourself using you know, a Poisson distribution or something. The good thing is you don't have to be super, super precise about that. I think all it takes is a certain, if you get a certain neighborhood of what that bet or what that, that feature is worth, then you can say, okay, well, I'm getting you know a 1.5% worse line at book X than I could if I bet it at Pinnacle, but I'm also getting this benefit that is worth. If it's only worth 1.2%, then you know, you know, it's not good enough. A lot of people might not know what a Poisson distribution is. If there's a term that's unknown here for you, I get these questions a lot in Twitter DMs. 
Google is your friend. Let me just put it that way. P O I S S O N Poisson. Yeah, and it's actually it's actually way easy, easier than people realize. It's, a lot of things are easier than people realize. I think that the academic uh, industrial complex does a good job of making things seem more complicated than they actually are. And honestly, nowadays too, if you're watching on YouTube, like you can just Google a con Google a concept on YouTube. You can YouTube a concept on YouTube, and you'll probably find a video that's like pretty good explainer of what um, it is. I'm sure you will. If not, I'll make one. Sounds good. Um, can math be used to solve a written script? For example, event one is scripted to obtain outcome B because of reason Y. We would have to assume enough past data exists to build out outcome slash reason ranges. I'm, I'm speechless. I don't even know how to begin <laughs> answering this one. Um, yeah, so, so you can. I mean, the, the whole science of Bayesian inference is all about kind of what's how to how to figure out the the conditional probability that, for example, the game is scripted, right? You know, conditional on 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 what you're seeing. Yeah, um, I could tell you what the conditional probability of a scripted <laughs> game sure is. It's zero. It's zero in in, in uh, North American sports. Yes, there there was a time. Uh, when I was doing a lot of betting on Proline, and they would offer uh, like European soccer leagues, and you'd you'd see, you know, the the I don't know if you you were, were in the game time, but some some Italian soccer team would go yep. from you know plus four hundred to minus three hundred, and you can still get plus three fifty on on mm -hmm. uh, on Proline, right? But so my uh, counter to that would be that I would not refer to that as scripted. I would refer to that as predetermined, oh, okay. which I think is very different from scripted. What's the difference? Scripted is literally following um, a series of events, okay. in my opinion. So if you were going to say, let's you were going to say an NFL game is scripted, it's scripted so that Justin Herbert throws a touchdown, uh, throws an interception here, uh, quarterback takes a sack here, so on and so forth. This is my personal. Are there like stage directions where it's like Herbert faces the crowd? That's my view of a <laughs> scripted. Like when you talk about scripted drives in the NFL, the first you know ten plays or whatever, those are these are the first ten plays. I don't think that's what our friend was. Uh, I don't was think talking so. about. I think what he's referring to are predetermined outcomes. Yes, where it's the teams know what the final score has to be, but it could get there in many different ways. Yeah, because the books told them when it has to be. Exactly. They got the call from Vegas. Of course. Not any other state, just Vegas. Vegas seems to be the only one who cares about the scripted outcomes. Offshore doesn't care. Legal books don't care. Just Vegas. Of course. They're the ones who know. But this is, I mean, this is the, the, the person who asked this question is an extreme example of this phenomenon. But there, there is kind of a, a cognitive bias where, where the human brain has to ascribe a reason, a cause and effect for everything. Like randomness is such, such a hard thing for the human brain to comprehend, I guess, for evolutionary biological reasons. But, you know, it happens all over the place. Like I used to, my, when I was a kid, my dad would take me to the, the racetrack for two dollars on on horse racing and we'd go through the program and figure out who was supposed to win based on all the the analysis and if if that horse didn't win oh the you know the fix is in or or uh you know some something I something you. like there's there there's there's a reason for everything okay. and i think a, a a really important thing a mindset that not enough people have in the world is that not everything happens for a reason right. there is rand randomness is a natural part 
of, of everything that happens in the universe and not everything is predictable. And yeah, sometimes there'll be an 80% chance that something happens. 20% of the time it doesn't happen. Like that's just, there's not always a reason for everything. And I think it's philosophically something people have a hard time kind of letting go of the need to explain everything. Yes. Sports talk radio exists because people refuse to believe in randomness of course. and variance because I could do a, I could do a post game show for any North American sports team, any sports team in the, in the nation, like in the world really. And just be like, well, played really well today and just got unlucky. Catch everyone tomorrow. That's it. <laughs> We're <laughs> recording this on uh Tuesday. December 13th. 13th. There's a Leafs game against the Ducks tonight. The Leafs are minus 439 against the Ducks. I do a post-game Leafs show. Yeah. What do you think will happen if the Leafs lose to the Ducks? Tonight? Oh, it's going to be the sky. The, the world is is burning down. Heads on a Burn. heads on a pike. Yeah. Leafs need to trade someone. <laughs> Coach needs to get fired. Yeah. And you could just say, like, what what do you think happens if the Leafs outshoot Anaheim 50-20 to 20 and lose 3-2? to two? People call in and it's, you know, they can't just accept the fact that team played well. No one can do that in, in the sports industry. By the way, I don't think those huge NHL favorites, and I'm just going from memory, I don't think they have a great track record. They typically don't. They don't. So, they typically don't. I guess yeah. this will air after the game, but... Uh, yeah, we'll do, see. The next 500, uh, minus 500 favorite in the NHL, do, do with that as you will. Do with that as you will. Um, let's end it with this one. If someone isn't brilliant with math or programming, like you. I'm not brilliant with math or programming. Okay. You said it, not me. Go on. <laughs> Yet they do a ton of legwork and are ready when markets open. Do they stand a chance long-term? Can being decent at reading the market, ready for open, and having multiple outs be enough? I can give you my opinion, and then maybe I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Rob, because kind of reading reading the market is something that... that I see the value of yep. a lot of people are really good at it. I'm not one of them. It's just not a skill that I, I have all that great in, in my arsenal. I think you're probably a lot better at it than, uh, than I am. My gut would say yes to a point with those things. You can, you can probably through, through market reading, steam chasing, line shopping, um, throw bonuses into that. I think there are enough opportunities for someone to have a, somewhat profitable hobby yep um probably not necessarily make a living at it because these things just you know you do them and and eventually you'll get limited or the bonuses will run out or like there just isn't you, you can't make money over the next 20 years necessarily doing that would be my opinion now of course the, the market reading itself if you're someone like spanky and you do that kind of to to an extreme degree i mean if you're the best in the world at pretty much anything, you know, you can you can make good money at it. But for someone who's just kind of starting out, and you know, if I if I am not so much into the math side of things, but I, I understand a bit of what's going on, can I make money at it? My sense would be yes, but not a heck of a lot. What do you think? I think that you can, but you can't scale. And that becomes the inherent challenge. Is like if you're comfortable with just winning a certain amount of money and like not ever really being able to grow that on an annual basis, then for sure you can do that. I know people who exclusively bet openers. Now, there is some technology involved as well because there are a lot of people who are looking to exclusively bet openers now. And unless you want to be at your computer every day hitting refresh every 30 seconds, 
you might want to have someone build out something for you where you get an alert when lines are now open. So that's involves programming, involves tech. But overall, you can have a lot of success that way in determining where you think the market will go and betting early. The problem is you're just limited in your bet size and you, you'll never be able to scale that way. So to each their own. If, if you're comfortable with that and you're, you're fine making a small amount of money. More power to you. That's Good for you. Like- 100%. Betting is different for everyone. Whatever works for you works for you. Not everyone's trying to be the next uh, Rob Pizzola. There's only one Rob Pizzola. There's only there's we, actually we, two. My father's named Rob Pizzola. Oh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm, <laughs> he goes I'm by the it. the real deal, Rob Pizzola. That's <laughs> what he he. Uh, we should have him on. That would be a good. Uh, yeah, maybe it would. I met him. He introduced himself to me as the real deal. Mm-hmm. A lot of older Italian guys. That's by the way. That's a self. Anointed Nick Wow, well, yeah, the real deal. Yeah. Older Italian guys make great uh, make great interviews. I think the, the, I'll throw a plug in there for one of my favorites, the the Banfield Group Always Betting podcast. They have a guy out there they call the Godfather. Yep, and he's just hilarious. You can't go wrong with older Italian guys. Banfield Group's content is uh, is really good now. It's great. They did that like cross nation. Yeah, he's, drive he's living in Vegas, Vegas and yeah. he's betting football. Uh, I, 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 I talked to Pisky right before we launched. Uh, right before we launched the Hammer. Gave us some good ideas. He's yeah. a good dude. Very good. Great content. Uh, three asks from everybody who's watching or listening. Number one, whatever platform you're watching on, YouTube, smash the like button, Spotify, Apple Music, please rate and review five stars. All goes a long way for us. Number two, ask. I mean, it might only be two asks. One of my favorite shows we produce here at The Hammer, it's called 90 Degrees with Kevin Davis. Kevin Davis, I met at Bet Bash, and then Bet Bash too. The guy is a gem. By the way, gem. It's not called ninety degrees because it's by squares, four squares. That I didn't my, never thought about was, that. Ninety degrees because he's giving you the right angles. The right angles. Could go either way. Ninety degrees is a very popular <laughs> boy band when I was growing up. I was very reluctant to call that's the 98 show. Degrees. Ninety eight degrees. Ninety degrees. You're eight, eight degrees short. Degrees. Um, if you haven't checked out Kevin's show yet. 90 degrees. You can find it on all streaming platforms, but you can find it on YouTube now under the Circles Off channel. So check it out. This week's episode, again, was very good. He was joined by a former host at Mandalay Bay, covered a wide variety of topics. Highly recommend you check it out. And please support Kevin because he does great work. Number three, in the comments, we do like to hear from you guys in terms of structuring the shows going forwards. So what would you like to see going forwards? We do a lot of Q&As. We do a lot of guests. We do some episodes where we cover topics in specific. What are your favorite types of episodes on Circles Off? We do value the feedback. So if you could drop it in the comments, your favorite type of episode, uh, we'll try to do a little bit more of that going forwards. Whatever it may be, tweets that trigger us, segments, whatever it is that we do on the Circles Off channel right now that you really, really enjoy, let us know what it is. Wait, before we we go. I'm hearing calculus chat. I think calculus chat is going to have, it's got some legs. You, You might, honestly... I'm, I'm going to feel bad for Johnny when the well, the comments come in. He's like, I'm going to have to hide these comments when they come in. And they're like, uh, we need more advanced mathematical topics. Well, more calculus. I got to have more calculus. Um, Rob, you got roasted in the last episode for saying the Ashen was a bust. Yeah. So listen. Oh, I heard that. Um, come on. I, I had this discussion at the lunch table before I came down to record today. And the people in the office agreed with me. So in the comments, there's some people that agreed with me in the comments. Don't let, let's not make it look like- There's nothing like, wrong with having high standards. Okay, hold on. This one is really questionable though. From 
Matt, you tell me what you think about this one. I agree. Yashin was a bust. From Rob P. No, this, 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 this there's been a Rob <laughs> P commenting on these videos. There's a lot of Rob P's out there, there. There is someone intentionally framing me. He's done this before, whoever that is. Very smart person to, to, to craft, to concoct this type of scheme. That is not me. Does he agree with you every videos. time? Yes, he does agree with me every time. He does. Does yeah, I'm reading some of his other comments here. They're all in agreement. Yeah. This is someone intentionally scheming. Which, what's what's your dad's name again? <laughs> My, you know what? It's, it's not. Is, is it or is it not Rob P? It is Rob P. It now there is, is another person here. There is other people that agree. Uh, he saying he was a bust, but there's a lot of. Listen, I don't consider that to be an outlandish statement. I think I think your like performance is relative to your where you were drafted. I judge that's fair. 2000s hockey players by one metric and one metric only, and that is how often were they on the pro line uh props list <laughs> as the points prop and Yashin was on there all the time. Fair enough. Yeah, this is the this is the best comment. Yashin isn't remotely even close to a bust. What is Rob talking about? Usually I'm so in sync with what he says, but this may be his worst take in pod history. Listen, people are asking people are acting like I came on on circles off and said I can build an F1 car from scratch in six months. <laughs> people are acting like I came on circles off and said that if I played hockey in the 80s, I would have scored more goals than Mario Lemieux. Like people, Yashin was drafted very high. He did not have the career that warranted that draft position. In my opinion, that's a bust. There's nothing wrong with high standards. There's not. Maybe he was a 30th percentile. He wasn't like a two percentile bust. 30th percentile. He had some, he had some very good seasons. Overall, his career, I can't say I can't say it was up there with, with fellow legend Nick Antropov. Didn't he have injury issues? Yeah, he did. He had all sorts. I think he left the NHL after he had like a 40-goal season, if I recall. Yashin. Something like he that. He might still be playing in the KHL or something. With Yager, he got two assists the other night at 50 years old. <laughs> My God. Had to delay his Hockey Hall of Fame induction because of it. Yeah. Well, um, appreciate you joining us in studio, Matt. Everyone out there, go follow Matt on Twitter at plus EV Analytics. Uh, or when he goes to Vegas with his family at minus EV. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, check him out. We'll try to incorporate him in some future shows as well for a lot of the advanced topics. Appreciate everyone out there. Remember to subscribe to the Circles Off YouTube channel. This has been episode 80 of Circles Off, powered by Pinnacle Sportsbook on the Hammer Betting Network. See everyone next week. 